So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hi, and welcome back. My name is Sheldon McLeod, and this is Thinking Out Loud, and it is presented to you here exclusively by the Saltwire Network. And it was a really big day for a couple of reasons, one of which was this court case. Uh, Steve Bruce with the Chronicle Herald, uh, here posted at saltwire.com, Lisa Banfield prepared to tell story to Mass Casualty Commission, says her lawyer. And uh, this is, had to do with what was described as a jeopardy. Uh, and she was facing a criminal charge uh, for allegedly providing ammunition, she and two others, uh, to the gunman. Uh, of course, the Crown has always maintained that she, there's no evidence to say she knew about this ahead of time. But but today, the Mass Casualty Con, uh, Commission heard two things. One was uh, a foundational document outlining what was described as overnight in DeBert, uh, where the killer uh, spent the, the night, the evidence was presented, and then lawyers got up and for representing the family to offer some some clarifications some questions but then after a bit of a break uh, the commission chair came back to say uh, why they will be calling some witnesses moving forward in the next phase after the present presentation of the three foundational documents all of this it sounds complicated but it was a really big day in the commission and adam rogers as mentioned is a lawyer who's worked with the desmond inquiry uh he has been watching this and has been providing his own commentary on his own youtube channel uh, adam rogers uh, welcome back thank you for this thanks for having me on sheldon Curious to your reaction. Uh, the commission chair, Mr. McDonald, said in no abject terms that they did not need any convincing to know that Lisa Banfield's testimony is going to be critical to this process. What what did you think this morning? Well, it was a really pivotal day in that regard. Uh, we've uh, been wondering, uh, the family's certainly been wondering, many in the public, whether there would be any witnesses called, and in particular about Miss Banfield, of course, with her central uh, role in, in all of this and her knowledge of the, the gunman and everything else. So it was important for us, uh, I think, really to get a sense, maybe for the first time, how the commissioners are going to address this, uh, this issue of being trauma-informed. You know, there was some concern that that would mean no witnesses or very limited witnesses. And today we've heard that they'll they'll be calling uh, most of the witnesses that were requested. So it was very important in that regard and uh, nice for me personally, too, because I'd put out a piece uh, not long ago uh, suggesting what trauma-informed should mean for this uh, inquiry, and it was consistent with what Chief Justice McDonald uh, outlined this afternoon. Former Chief Justice, only clarifying yeah. that because of this is very, people are very hypersensitive over language and very much interested in, in, in knowing the people involved. And this this man, this former Chief Justice, has had a, a reputation. He's had a career. Uh, some folks were worried that perhaps the process itself might overwhelm a, a crisis of integrity. That was the narrative last week. Yeah. Are we any closer to showing at least the appearance and a modeling of transparency here? I believe so. You know, with the the commission saying, yes, we're going to hear from witnesses, uh, you know, lawyers will have the opportunity to question them. 
Uh, that's very positive. And I always had confidence uh, because of Chief Justice, former Chief Justice McDonald's involvement, because uh, he had a great reputation as a judge. Uh, he wasn't afraid to step out from behind the bench and, uh, you know, speak at times. And, uh, you know, so that that always gave me uh, some some confidence that the process was going to unfold. The question uh, I think many will still have is, why why wait until now? I mean, these questions have been circulating uh, in the public mind and, and among the family members. You know, why was that lack of clarity uh, allowed to linger for maybe an extended period of time? And I, I don't know, uh, but maybe there were some, you know, discussions among the commissioners as to what that might mean. But uh, certainly they came out with uh, a clear decision uh, today on it. I'm, I'm I'm somewhat buoyed by the fact that there there have been adaptations made, uh, you know, including the names of of the victims on the, on the screen when they first yeah. came in. Something they said, you know, it was suggested to us, and we thought that made sense. It was appropriate, so that this does feel like a process that's evolving, and that the former chief justice also said that trauma informed should not be a shield from testifying. And I think that is a very important point to be made that he is asking for, and we will have. Uh, the three first responding officers as part of this witness panel uh, on the 28th when this this uh, resumes. Your thoughts on what that should bring us as far as some kind of illumination? Well, they were very, uh, they, you know, they were the first ones into the community uh, from the police perspective. Uh, they'll be able to tell us about that, what they were thinking, what they were feeling, the decisions they were making, what information they had. Uh, all of those things. So it's very important. And, and we'll be hearing that right away. Uh, some of the other witnesses won't be until May or even later, perhaps, but uh, we'll hear the story from the first three and, and hearing them together in a panel. I think that's appropriate as well. We've, uh, we've had a panel of witnesses in the Desmond inquiry and, you know, it can work quite well as uh, because, you know, they were there together. So certainly they're going to have uh, a common experience to relate. I've also, as, as uh, many have noted, was concerned that, you know, there would be that perception that this is not going to get to the truth. But there are some truths that will never be known. You know that from your experience that some voices cannot be heard from. Uh, there was the, the comment, though, about the two folks from the United States, the, fa- the couple, uh, the friends couple in Maine, uh, where one of whom is, uh, I believe, in a owner of a car dealership. He apparently has been interviewed by the RC, sorry, by the FBI. Yeah. Uh, and that they're not really in a position that they, they can't legally subpoena witnesses in a different jurisdiction. What, what's your understanding of that and how how that may be important to this? Well, they were the, among the last people to speak with the killer before he went on his rampage. So, you know, to know what those conversations, you know, what was the content of those conversations? I mean, that wasn't covered by the FBI interview, uh, strangely. Uh, so we'll hopefully be able to hear about that. And then just, you know, they're, they were friends. You know, what was their knowledge of uh, the killer? It sounded like he was probably drinking that night. He sounded like he was a very bad uh, drunk when he was drinking. You know, what was, how drunk was he? That sort of thing. I think those kind of details that they can add are important. And so hopefully they'll voluntarily uh, cooperate with the commission. And if they don't uh, that's going to leave a, a big gap in the evidence unfortunately and and so far this process we've we've had a lot of um, uh, 
legal wrangling, if, if that's appropriate to use that term, uh, to hear from the lawyers representing families. And I, I want to be clear, this is no way disrespecting that process, but, you know, there are class action lawsuits involved. There is a vested interest. And, and the evidence that is presented here, my understanding is some of it may very well become part of a criminal or sorry, a civil case in the future. Uh, with the, with that preface, you know, what's your thoughts on some of the questioning, some of the areas that the lawyers are asking for some clarity and, and, and this idea that we need to be much more informed about the experts in the, West, the witness t- testimony? It's an interesting dynamic in a way because they have that civil case outstanding and in, in some respects the interests of the families are more geared towards that civil case, uh, you know, certainly the financial interests. But the interests of the public and, you know, the, the true underlying interests are, are here in this inquiry. So hopefully uh, if there's any, you know, if there's any dispute between those two interests that that doesn't manifest itself by, you know, their any behavior during the inquiry. You know, the families in many ways are a proxy for us as the public to, uh, to ask the questions that we would want to ask. So hopefully I, I think that, you know, will will continue to unfold in that manner. Uh, you know, so that that's that's an issue that could uh, rear its head, but uh, you know they've been pushing for the right answers. One of the things that came out today about the overnight, and the, you know the families are going to want to question this: is when could an emergency alert have been issued, or when maybe should it have been issued, and then what may have been the results? And we heard today that there were uh, three witnesses in the Debert area that saw this mock police cruiser. Well, they didn't know it was a mock cruiser at the time. Uh, you know at 1230 in the morning, one o'clock in the morning around the business park in Dibert. Well, had an alert been issued, you know, in the hour or two prior, surely one of those witnesses would have contacted the authorities and, you know, that might've been the end of everything right there. So, you know, the family from the civil case perspective are going to want to know those kinds of things and, uh, you know, what deaths could have been prevented by different actions by the police. Commission Chair McDonald has said he wants to hear from the officers to find out, as he points out, what they chose to do, what they did not do. And I think that is something you've touched on there, which is in hindsight, because if a stated goal is to prevent something like this from ever happening again, you know, what lessons to be learned, what mistakes were made, those yeah. types of scenarios. But where I'm somewhat challenged is is the narrative of conspiracy and and I know you've addressed in some ways whether how it would affect this process if it were to be revealed in some way that Gabriel Wardman had been working with police as an informant. I spoke with someone who was an informant who says none of what he's heard or witnessed would give him that conclusion. So just curious to your thoughts there. Yeah, well, we certainly hope not really uh, that, you know, we hope that there's no conspiracy or cover up or anything of that nature. You know, because there's some questions outstanding, I think it needs to be explored to the satisfaction of the, of the families or, well, to the satisfaction of the reasonable person uh, observing. You know, it's, uh, yeah, one doesn't think, I, I tend to think, you know, I don't want to say incompetence. It's usually more incompetence than a conspiracy, right? So, or structures. In this case, I wonder in the emergency alert specifically, whether the sort of hierarchical structure of the RCMP was, you know, was itself an issue. You know, Stuart Purcell at 1116 is suggesting an emergency alert be issued or is questioning it. Well, but then that had to go to the next level up, the next level up. And, you know, 
So how long does it take to make a decision rather than having perhaps the officer who's on the ground, who has the best understanding of the situation in a lot of ways, be able to make that decision themselves, particularly in a rural area where, you know, it's difficult to explain what you're seeing over the radio to a supervisor then who then has to make that decision. So those are the kinds of, you know, I, I think those are the kind of answers that are going to emerge from this rather than any kind of, you know, conspiracy minded issue. And truly, uh, as uh, one statement from the officer who was first in charge, uh, he wasn't even aware of the alert surface. Uh, he w- yeah. That was not something he was that was common knowledge to him. So uh, there are lessons to be learned. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, on the alert website, the, an active shooter situation wasn't even one of the scenarios no. that was listed as, you know, a potential use for it. And, and my experience, uh, I was involved with uh, radio and television news directors for years, and the Amber Alert system in Nova Scotia has never, ever really been launched appropriately. And, and I don't know whether because it's a provincial municipal overlap where the real stumbling blocks have been, but clearly that's that's a gap that I, I think the province closed a little bit with uh, some of the changes that were announced before the, the last provincial election. All of this to say, you know, we're still very... Um, in the very initial stages of this, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hearing about testimony into May. Um, so to that point, you know, I think the, the chair is saying, you know, there is a process, there will be 30 some foundational documents and perhaps some of these questions will be answered. Then your thoughts given again, that this is going to be a months long process. Months long process with an, an interim report due in May. Now, you know, I'm involved in the Desmond inquiry, which is coming to, we're doing our closing submissions next month. And that's been on for, you know, a few years now. Of course, there have been delays because of COVID and such, but, you know, one could imagine something on the scale of the Mass Casualty Commission uh, taking a much longer time. They're going to really have to work hard to get all of this evidence in and have a final report done by November. Um, They can do it, but it's going to take a very concerted effort by, well, they have a large staff to help them. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, there's going to be quite a few witnesses coming through, uh, and, and being heard from. So uh, that's going yeah, to be an intensive process. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess, again, to f- cap this off where we started, um, the interview that is, that is expected maybe as early as this afternoon, we're not going to hear uh, what comes of that for some time yet. But, you know, how mm. how how this does change perhaps the water and the beans, as they say. Changes a little, it could change it a lot. Although here's an interesting uh, thought is, I think it's interesting. The her return date is May third. With restorative justice, I mean, the you know common procedure would be you are referred to restorative justice. You do something. You you know write an apology letter, take counseling, do community service, whatever the case may be, and then you come back and assuming you've completed the process, the charge is withdrawn by the crown. So technically, Miss Banfield still has legal jeopardy until that happens in in May. So I wouldn't, I guess she'll, uh, you know, maybe she has some agreement that she'll cooperate on the presumption that that process is going to unfold as it should. Mm-hmm. But uh, she may still under, you know, an abundance of caution, wait until May 3rd before she does that, because, you know, the charges are still outstanding. In that first um, argument from her lawyer about why it wouldn't be appropriate, he did raise the Jeopardy issue. But I think I felt, and, and I don't know if anyone else, maybe I was wrong, but felt he was suggesting if that was gone. If that jeopardy was gone, she would be available. Sounds to me like there was a concentrated effort by the Crown and the members of this commission, and I don't know what 
I'm not inferring that there was undue influence because ultimately the the goal was to have her to appear and to be sworn, give sworn testimony. So uh, perhaps there was some type of an arrangement that we yeah. may never know about. If there was influence, uh, you'd say, well, probably wasn't undue. Uh, I think the Crown was asked today if it went up to the Justice Minister and that was uh, denied. So uh, it would have been within the Crown office. Although I think uh, uh, the, the head of the Crown Commission... Uh, public prosecution said it was an individual crown decision which strikes me as uh, that that's bizarre if that was the case really should have to me been something that was decided across the board among the with the three accused uh, there's two others uh, mr brewster mr banfield as well mr banfield's already pled guilty of course even after you've pled guilty you can still be referred to restorative justice but there was no discussion of that today we're in for um, a bit of a break, a, l- a long wait until the next process, and then again, um, a, a time before we have that interim report and the final report. Uh, this is not over yet, but um, I, I'm feeling a little more confident. I'm sensing that folks are feeling a little more confident about the integrity and the transparency, and I think that's that's a huge credit to Mr. McDonald and the work that he's doing, and people can call me a supporter and a cheerleader if they want, but uh, I, I wait for the evidence, and I'm seeing some evidence of that today. Yeah, no, definitely. It was a pivotal day, important for all of those reasons. And uh, so that's, uh, it bodes well. uh, And I hope the families are reassured by that, uh, at least to some extent. Adam Rogers and your YouTube channel, what's it called? Uh, It's the Rogers Brief and uh, I'm on Twitter at Adam Rogers NS. So uh, I'll have a piece out today on today's proceedings and uh, do that every day of the proceedings. uh, So I'll continue that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.